Hey, hi, look, second podcast episode for the year and it's only July. <laughs> oh, now let's not get our hopes up and call this a run, but we will call it a great episode because look, Andrew Lang was exactly who I needed to talk to the day I recorded it. And maybe, just maybe, he's exactly who you need to hear from today as well. I don't really know what to call this episode. We covered a lot, but what I found so interesting is that Andrew deconstructed out of progressive Christianity. This struck me as interesting because it was kind of my first step on that old proverbial slippery slope. Only I'm just going to say it, it wasn't a slippery slope into lawlessness, debauchery, although God knows I could use a bit more of that, and generally living a hellish life. Uh, If anything, that slippery slope was my road out of what had long been my personal hellscape. And I know that sounds like hyperbole, but it's not. Um, And that sounds dark. Anyway, so let's turn to this week in news, which is also pretty bloody dark. Roe v. Wade was overturned in the States. um, And as has become a theme for this year, I think, another day, another mass shooting. Why mention this on my Australian podcast, you might ask. Well, I think it's because church culture affects all of us when it crosses boundaries into politics the way this has in America. I am Australian, but I remember how I felt on the day of the capital siege after Trump lost the election. I just couldn't stop shaking because there was so much of my past life that I could really see in those protesters. And I knew if I were to log onto Facebook at that time and look up certain people from my church past, I wouldn't just find sympathizers, but I'd find people who still proclaimed Trump to be God's man. Uh, Despite the fruits of that tree being so very rotten and despite us being instructed in the Bible to judge a tree by its fruit. Um, So yeah, you know, trauma that happens to our American friends as a you know as a result of what happens inside churches when they go um, picketing politics and influencing in politics that way I think that can kind of touch all of us Uh, long-winded kid but anyway what are you saying I'm saying that Australian Kiwi British American wherever you are religious trauma may have looked like the overturning of Roe v Wade last week it may have looked like another mass shooting and the face of a toddler with a bloodstained sock circulating the internet rationalize this though we may trauma is visceral it isn't located in the frontal lobe of the brain It's deeper than that and however you reacted whether it was rage nausea shaking sweating, depressed mood, etc, etc. Don't beat yourself up for that. That is trauma. And honestly, I can't say enough how much I hate dominionism for what it's done to church and the countless lives of those who are worse off because of it. But if you've been affected by trauma this week or last week or the week before, and if it's really affecting you, please do seek help because this shit's real. Anyway, so that's still dark. I'm sorry about the darkness, guys. On to a sunnier conversation. Have you ever had a conversation with someone when you've been running late, you haven't had time to shower, much less put on makeup, and quite frankly, you were so disorganized that you forgot to cancel that podcast episode and thought, screw it, I'm just going to have to go through with this. Uh, That's that's what happened this time. So I I turned up um, fresh on the heels of the school drop-off, looking like an absolute mess. And even in the messy state that I was in, it turned out to be great. And so that's today. Quite frankly, I think we all need someone like Andrew in our lives um, because it was exactly what I needed. And just quite quietly, I hope it's uh, just what you need too. So here's today's episode. Enjoy. Here's Andrew Lang. I'm Kit Kennedy, and this is Unchurchable. Hello and welcome to another episode of Unchurchable. This one's going to be fun. It is the second episode for this year and what are we, June? Um, and I think Andrew's already my favourite person because he just said, if it ain't a mess, it's not worth it. And to be quite honest, that's my new motto for life. So <laughs> Andrew uh, popped me an email, I don't know, months ago and I only just got to it because that's how much of a hot mess I am this year, um, but it seemed like the whole journey of deconstruction and kind of deep thinking about different elements of theology and the Christian experience and the ex-Christian experience kind of resonated. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you've 
landed in this kind of, uh, yeah, in the Venn diagram of, you know, of, 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 you know, Kit Kennedy and Andrew Lang. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Landed, kerplunked, I don't know. Um, Yeah, I, (laughs) um, so I grew up progressive Christian. um, And so I, I grew up in a, in a church community that was um, very social gospel oriented, um, to the point that, you know, when I think back, I think it was really Democrats using religious language. Um, like that's, yeah, that's my experience. And so what I, um, what I have found that's been fascinating is my experience and the evangelical experience, very different. Um, and yet there's been similar deconstruction phases, um, you know, we're, we're teasing apart different stories, but we're both yeah. having to, having to process the story we've been handed. Um, that, okay. That blows my tiny mind because uh, when I first started on the deconstruction journey, I was hardcore evangelical, um, which I now kind of say is fundamentalist because it does not entertain any moral or social ideas outside of its own gospel, Um, even to the point where progressive Christians were very much othered and very much, well, that's not the true, yeah, that's not a true experience of Christianity. They're not right. So for me to identify as progressive Christian was hella rebellious. Uh (laughs) And yet it was a point on the journey. And now if people say, are you a Christian? I kind of twitch a bit. Um, and I kind of go, <laughs> God, <it's> so real. <laughs> um, I'm not an atheist is the answer. Um, and agnostic doesn't feel right, but, um, I don't know what I am. And I think the uncertainty is fine, but yeah, the journey into progressive Christianity wasn't the end by any means. So Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, at least in my experience, what I found um, and what I keep finding, because I I work with a lot of folks who are, I like to think of them as either nine toes in the church or nine toes out. (laughs) So there's what they might still be inside, but they're like yearning for something and they don't quite know what it is or they've gotten the hell out. And but they still have some sort of thread that's like, I'm outside of the church but I still want to be spiritual and I don't know what that means. Um, and so what, what I really ran into when I was going through the beginning part of this deconstruction experience was that um, I was still deconstructing. I was still handed a white male God, right? So mm. I, even though I grew up, you know, progressive Christian, the actual God figure was very similar yeah. in identity to my friends who grew up evangelical. Um, mine was just a little bit nicer, I think. Uh, <laughs> or it it felt at least like nicer to my group. Yeah. Um, but it was yeah. still a, an identity of God that as I got older, I was like, this doesn't make sense to me. And this doesn't yeah. make sense to my experience. Yeah. Yeah. So that's mm, the white male heterosexual cisgender God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah that's that's something that's kind of across the whole experience that's interesting um inside progressive christianity you're allowed to be nicer to lgbtqia you know people they're not doomed straight for hell um is that that's a question that's yeah just yeah, I mean, statement. <laughs> you know th- that's i think one of my um uh, I'm thinking of, of thread or how fabric gets ripped, ripped apart. One of the things that ripped progressive Christianity apart from, for me when I was growing up in it was realizing that, okay, um, you know, definitely nicer, definitely yeah. more socially focused, um, definitely more um, accepting, tolerating. And yet I'm not sure affirming was a, uh. was a true, you know, we could say it, but I'm not sure it was true in the space as I was growing up. And here's, here's an example. Um, the church I grew up in, so this is when I was maybe eight years old until 18. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every Sunday there was a pride flag hanging outside the church. And yet when you walked into the church, 
what you found was that the structures of the church were all centered on heteronormative folks, right. um, cisgender folks, right? And you would have, I have a visceral memory of a conversation where someone in the church told a person um, who was lesbian, told them, you know, I love you, but, you know, that, that comment, right? Yeah. And, and that's so, for me, hearing that, I just immediately got this, ew, like what? Mm. What is this space and what is this lie we're telling ourselves about who God is and about who we are in relationship yeah. with God and with each other? Yeah. That is an incredible, it's the ick factor, isn't it? When you realize that the church itself is the wolf in sheep's clothing, <laughs> like that is a, that is a moment. Um, and I've, I found that to be interesting moving house, moving towns. Um, there's one church that I've found in Melbourne that has um, a, a partnered lesbian pastor. Um, and like, I kind of go, oh yeah, I'd be safe there. Um, but, but would I go there? No, probably not. <laughs> like, you know, just because it's church and because of my, my point of recovery from all that I've journeyed through with church at this point in time. Um, so, so tell me, like, tell me, was it just that thread, just that ick factor that made you go, okay, I'm deconstructing this? Or was it, you know, was it, yeah, what, what called you? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is a mess of a question. Let me yeah. just start this again. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> it is early in the morning. I have had, I think the technical term is a clusterfuck of a week um, and I haven't had coffee yet. Um, meanwhile, Andrew's just sitting on the other end of the day, just cosy, just having his mind warmed up quite well and, you know, the sun's setting to, to, to his left and everything's fine for him and I'm just struggling my way through a morning. <laughs> so, you know. Everything's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Uh, <laughs> so, so what was it that made you journey out of progressive mm -hmm. Christianity and where are you now? Yeah. Um, so I'll say it's the, I want to stick with the ick factor or like maybe that's just a going to be a recurring theme in the next little bit. Um, or maybe the title because, of the episode. The yeah, ick the, factor. The ick factor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I, I think what the ick factor is, is our body telling ourselves that something's wrong, right? It's our body giving yes. a flag, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I got several of those. Um, and if I gave like a, a, a quick trajectory, I think what really happened was I grew up, um, you know, going to school, learning the scientific method. So there was, amount, there was an amount of rational education that made me realize some of this magical thinking doesn't make yeah. sense. Um, magical thinking. This, yeah, I, what what definitely seemed to me is then and now a certain amount of magical thinking, um, very much Santa Claus in the sky kind of spirituality. Um, and so there was an element of rational development. And then there was this element of um, experiences I had at the churches I, I was in. Um, where that ick factor got activated. And so there was, you know, there was that experience that I just shared. Another experience was um, when I was 18, we left that church and we had this big Sunday kind of going away party. And I was just bawling my eyes out. I'd been there for 10 years. This was my, mm. you know, although I had pretty much stopped going on Sundays and was considering myself at that time atheist, it's still a home of some yeah. kind, right? And so I'm just bawling my eyes out. And this older man named Dale comes up to me and he's taller than everyone else in the church. He, he's, you know, long strides, comes up to me, puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, men don't cry. Exactly. 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 I immediately, I had this other, this, this, yeah. uh, just another ick factor go through me yeah. saying, if, you know, here's a guy who was in this specific church for like 40 years. Um, if this is what a lifetime of Christian spiritual development, if this is the output, who wants this? Yeah. Why, you know, unless you want to be in a dominating system, which I understand lots of people do, but like what I just didn't, yeah. I couldn't comprehend. And so I, I left for college being like, well, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> this, yeah. Is, this isn't worth my, my time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, 
yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I kind of I, a couple of comments. Um, the magical thinking. <laughs> just reflecting over like I was always a thinker as as a child um I read the bible like large chunks of it and you know I would compare what I heard on the from the pulpit with what I was reading or what I was experiencing at home and as a pastor's kid it's an interesting thing and one of my kind of just little things that I remember thinking was like do you remember the show I dream of Jeannie yeah yeah and and bewitched so mum used to love those shows and so mum and my little sister and I used to sit down and watch them of an afternoon because at one point back before Netflix um I Dream of Jeannie was on at like three o'clock and then bewitched was on at like 3 30 and, and then there was like boring shows like my three sons who, who gives a you know crap about that but but dad all of a sudden had this revelation that we shouldn't be having magic in our house and, you know, so we weren't allowed to watch Bewitched or I Dream of Jeannie anymore. And I'm just like, hang on, like, aren't you saying, like, isn't this what God did when he created the world and, like, when that donkey spoke and, like, the whole Lazarus come forth thing, like, yeah. isn't this a comedic version of that? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, you kind of pick up really early the cognitive dissonance between, like, <laughs> these two things and um and so we had this one world of magic that was acceptable and one world of magic that wasn't but the so that's kind of on a funny-ish note on a funny-ish yeah. note because on the one level you can kind of laugh about it but on another level it does teach you to ignore the things that you pick up on that don't line up and to silence the voice of rationality that may actually be a lifesaver. But the other thing is that sense of embodiment. And I think you've picked up on something really important across all Christian cultures is um, that sense of listening to what your body tells you. And gosh, we shut that down, don't we? Oh, my, I was just thinking the, you know, the status quo of Christianity lives and breathes on our disembodiment, mm. on our lack of connection with our body, because all it would take, you know, I think about the the churches that I sometimes walk into to to work with the folks who are there, all it would take is one embodied person to walk in and realize like, oh, this does not feel good. And yeah. they're gone. Like the, there's an element. Um, I think also I, I, with my friends who are grew up evangelical with the amount of guilt and shame around mm. the body and around sex, um, you know, I didn't get that, you know, that's mm. another element of the progressive Christian upbringing. I didn't get as much guilt and shame, mm. um, theologically in the, in the, in the church, what I got was silence. And so right. I, right. So like my, um, my beliefs about myself, the stories I would tell myself about myself, they were colored by the, um, the, the culture's prevalent narrative. Mm. Um, so without my church giving me a sex positive theology, I was left to the default of society. And it turns out the default that society has around sex is just as chaotic um, and, and, and largely negative, body negative. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's interesting. And we haven't even got to what you do and how you work with churches. I should have asked you <laughs> that from the beginning. Um, yeah, well done. Well done, Kit. Um, we'll, we'll circle back to that. But you're in a particular shit show when it comes to um, sex negativity and body negativity because you're in the USA at the moment. And, I mean, there's nothing centres this more than the abortion debate right now. Yeah. Um, well, not debate. <laughs> What's happening with, with abortion? Realities. Yeah, so, and it shocks me that a nation that, like America, can be so backward. So talk, talk more about that kind of, that clash between, talk to, me, talk to me more about what grows in silence when, yeah. you know, when the church is silent on issues like this. You know, what comes to mind right now is the question of where is God and where is the divine? Because if we center God 
up there, out there, it makes it a hell of a lot easier to diminish and dehumanize humans right here. Mm -hmm. And so what I think has been done, um, it, it, and I, I say in my, I'll say in my experience, what I have witnessed is in the progressive church and in the other large churches, especially in the United States, God has never been recentered to being within me, within this moment, right here, right now, inherent dignity within everything and everyone. And without that recentering, mm. um, you you have what we have in America right now. You have um, you have a default operating system that humans um, are are not sacred. Yeah. And so we can go and we can shoot them down and do nothing about it. And we can control women's bodies, mm. specifically white males, yeah. right? white men can control women's bodies. And I, I think, you know, I grew up and my dad used to always say, we have a spiritual crisis in America and I couldn't understand what he was talking about. I, I didn't get it. Yeah. And the more that I'm processing what is happening right now and the disconnect we seem to have between our own sense of inherent dignity and then the, um, I'm going to say cultural slaughter that we're mm -hmm. watching, right? Yeah, that's People, what it is. I mean, that's what it is. It's just dehumanization um, running rampant in a way that has existed before. I think that's important also, right? Like, um, but it's very abundantly clear right now. And I think, it, I think that's what my dad meant by spiritual crisis. Um, hmm. where, where are we centering what matters? Where are we centering inherent dignity? Who has it? Um, is it inherent? Um, cause if we do believe yeah. that, I think about the, the Buddhists and, um, certain strands of Buddhism and other religions, um, have, have placed so much sacredness on animals, even the small little critters that you are careful where you walk. Yeah. Um, right. Why? What would that look like today for humans to recognize that, you know, if Imago Dei is a real thing, if we are made in God's image and likeness, which is what the Christian story says, right? Like says, but not the, lives. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> says, but not lives. Like, man, if we lived that even a little bit, um, it would be, it would be a lot less ick factor yeah. um, on a ca catastrophic scale. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> gosh, I think. There's, oh gosh, there's so much in what you just said because one thing that always confused me is how how church got tied up in climate denialism. Yeah. Um, but, like, the Buddhists seeing the sacred in even the smallest animals, like, that solves the climate change problem because we would honour the created world. Like, we would honour, like, yeah. we would honour that um, if, we, if we truly lived in Magadei. We would see the sacred in transgender. We would see it in the full representation of the rainbow flag. We would see all of that, but also the centering, like centering God within. Like I, I remember I interviewed Keith Christich, Christich back in the beginning of this podcast, and he was saying, you know, he was explaining mysticism about God being within and God being, you know, not separated from us and God being in every breath and in everything and in everyone else and, and, and God being this energy that flows through all of us and is in all of us and it cannot be separated from us. And I could not understand it. And to a degree I still can't understand it because Calvinism in its, you know, it's something that has been ingrained into me, this idea of total depravity, this idea of separation from God, this idea of only the elect being saved. And, you know, all of this stuff has been so engraved, ingrained in me since I was so very young. And it's sneaky because it sneaks into evangelical um, theology. People don't get up on the stage and go, well, I'm a Calvinist. They say you must be saved and this is why. Um, and you listen to that and you internalise that. So then you hear someone like Keith going, you know, God is in you, God cannot be separated from you. And then you hear you talking about how, you, you know, God needs to be centred again. 
And I go, if God is worthy, if God is holy, if God is in me, then I'm, I'm worthy, I am holy. Then that messes with my head and all the unworthiness that church gifted me. <laughs> yeah. Great gift. Love the gift, really. Top I know. I know. <laughs> the starter yeah. pack is, uh, yes, unworthiness, unholiness, body shame, sexual shame, yeah. actual, actually sexual ignorance. That's just a whole thing. Um, uh, I think anti-feminism, the gifts that come with that is just the inability to, you know, stand up for yourself, just argue for yourself, advocate for yourself and, um, you know, make decisions in the world and um, hefty therapist bill and for a lot of us, PTSD when we leave. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, I think so you asked what I do now and like, I feel like this conversation is it. Um, I, I, cause I think. Thank you for picking element. up the segue. <laughs> this is the, oh yeah, totally. Uh, no, I, <laughs> I don't know if I'll actually finish that thought, but um, yeah, I, I just think that there's so much the church gives folks, especially the ones who grow up young in it. Um, mm. But it's like layers, right? It's just layers of really, some of it's truly putrid, right? Truly awful stuff. There are some elements that I do believe are wonderful, right? There's a reason I still stay in a spiritual space and I, I consider myself Christian, although I also have like this deep ick when I say that. Um, and it's yeah. not until like the last two years when I was willing to say that publicly. Yeah. Um, but I, I think a lot of what I do now is I help folks like pick apart those layers. Okay. Um, Dude. Yeah. Which like, it's brutal. It's brutal. And it's never ending. It is therapy that just goes on forever. And I think there's, um, you know, I, I once heard, I can't remember who said it, but they said, um, you know, a healthy spirituality would save a lot in therapy bills. And I think that's definitely true. I also think therapy is just like a great investment and everyone should do it. Maybe um, healthy spirituality is a lot in therapy bills, you know. Yeah, yeah right. right? <laughs> there's, there's just so much to, there's so much, you said cognitive dissonance earlier. There's so much cognitive dissonance in, a, in seeing yourself as worthy when every message in mm. a church space that you've internalized, right? has been largely negative. And I think think that's another thing that we know scientifically that negative thoughts and negative messages stay in our brain longer than positive ones do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Thanks for that. Universe (laughs) slash God slash, I don't know, evolution slash whatever landed us at that point. But that was, that was nice. Um, (laughs) Yep. Yep. Awesome. That kind of we've been shuffling the proverbial uphill for for a while with that, but the the conscious rewiring of that is, um, you know, like things like gratitude practice and and stuff like that can seem so petty and so shallow. Um, like when you've walked away from these systems that seem so large and so all encompassing, to write down something that you're proud of or something that you're grateful for can seem so, eh. But it actually, that fact that you just mentioned that we hold on to the negative in our neural circuits for a lot longer than we do the positive, I mean, it makes it worth it. It makes worth it writing down, you know, things that, um, yeah. Yeah. It's another motto of mine is self-praise is better than no praise. And I high-five myself often. (laughs) Yes. So good. Yeah. A hundred percent because no praise is a, is defaults to negative. And Hmm. so I've, I've been a teacher for the last seven years and we talk in education a lot about that. Um, because if you think about a teacher who has 30 kids in the classroom, um, where our attention naturally goes is the kids who, um, you know, are, are causing disruption or causing yeah. distractions, AKA just being kids. Yeah. Um, right. But need to, you know, we call it classroom management. Um, mm. And so all of our attention is going to, to this small group of, of wonderful kids. And, and then on the other hand, a lot of our attention goes to the, you know, straight A students, right. Mm. The kids who are just brilliant and doing exactly, they're very good at being cogs in the machine. We ask yeah. them to do something, they do it well. Yeah. Um, but then there's a large group in the middle that in their silence or in the, um, 
yeah, in, in the silence or just in the in-betweenness, yeah. right? The default is negative. What they see is no one's paying attention to me. Yeah. And, and I think that's, um, you know, you mentioned Keith. Keith and I really agree on some of the contemplative practices, centering prayer. Um, and I don't do much centering prayer anymore, but contemplative practices that create uh, more silence in our life so that we can do some of that gratitude practice or self-praise mm. or just paying attention and noticing beauty. Yeah. Because um, yeah. all of that builds ca capacity, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So I want to ask you a question that just popped into my head and you might not have an answer for, but if you don't, we'll edit this out. The beauty <laughs> of podcast. Um, so we're, interest we're living in an interesting cultural moment because <laughs> – Alongside, you know, COVID-19 meant that people who used to work in offices are now working in desks in their homes. We don't have water cooler talk. We don't have bosses patting us on the back on the way past and going, hey, good job with this. Or we don't have that collegiate talk that we used to have. At the same time, it seems like this deconstruction movement has really picked up speed, possibly because we haven't been able to attend church for the last two years. A lot of us are going, do we need this? <clears throat> and one thing that I'm finding a lot of people have mentioned to me when they've left church and they might not have the same, you know, community, the same friends, um, the same, they might have lost Christian community and lost friendships en masse because they've gone away, is we're missing that positive reinforcement. We might also be missing a huge feeling of lost purpose in our lives knowing that the brain defaults to the negative, what do we do to recapture that and to recognise the moments that might seem small to the, us that are actually freaking massive once we've had this big seismic shift away from, you know, the way things used to be? Wow, that's a great question. Thank you. I, I mean, I have no answer. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great question. <laughs> uh, I mean, I... I'm trying to figure this out. I, I haven't gone to church without getting paid for it in three years. Um, That's the I, dream. <laughs> I had to pay for it. So, so I don't, um, I, I was teaching and then I, um, I took a year off because I, I really wanted to figure out, can I get paid to do spiritual formation work uh, with folks kind of on the edge of mm. Christianity? And so I took some money from a church and within a year, I realized this isn't what I wanted. So I went back to teaching. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I... That's a great question because my gut feeling, my gut feeling tells me three things. Um, the first is that we need to get intentional around solitary practices. What does it mean to be myself? Mm -hmm. um, and what does it mean to be with myself? Yeah. And so I think COVID really, I mean, stripped us bare in yeah. some ways. Brutally. Um, around yeah. that. Brutally, right? <laughs> exactly. And so a lot of us were forced, thrown into this space of, well, who am I um, if I'm not the person who can do all the, you know, the random talk at the water cooler? Who am I if I'm not making people laugh with my dad jokes? Um, and so, <laughs> so I think I think part of it, I take a little offense because I make dad jokes, but I'm going to move on. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think some of it is the, the we needed to, deepen our capacity for solitary practices of, of note, you know, gratitude practices and of noticing beauty. Um, the second thing that really jumps out at me is the, just the role of activism, um, hyper-local activism, okay. because I think, yeah, I just, I, and this is, you know, this does come from some of my upbringing, right? Activism to some extent was, was core to my upbringing. Yeah. And so, and my spirituality I truly believe that activism at a hyper-local level, getting involved with people who are next to you, helps develop a, um, a more exploratory and expansive spirituality than most anything else will. Because okay. you are hand-in-hand -hand with people, right in front of people, supporting people be healthier humans. Um, right. I, love I don't that. necessarily... Yeah. I, and I, I think there's a, you know, there's different ways we do activism. There's the activism of, of, you know, just dualistic, this is my side, that's your side. And that has its place. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the activism of, I love mutual aid networks. They're popping yeah. up in most cities at this point. Um, or, you know, that's activism. If you are out in your community supporting people and humanizing people who need yeah. support, you're engaging in an activist um, yeah. Yeah. practice. And so I, I think that's community yeah. gardens and, you know, yeah. like stuff like that that doesn't have to be, because I think the dualistic stuff might be triggering for people who've yeah. exited a dualistic system, but community gardens and helping the homeless or like, you know, doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. It, yeah. And it's, I wouldn't it's have thought all of that. Of it. Thank you. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it's all of it because so much of us, um, I'll, I'll speak to my own experience. Yeah. I very much see, um, a default in me towards dualism, right? That is a, that is a, that's a built-in skill set that I have. It's very <laughs> useful in some ways. I know how to, you know, pick the right side of the road, not the left side of the road, yeah. um, which might be different in different countries. Totally um, different. We're on the left, not the right. <laughs> right. As I said, it, I was like, I should probably pause. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's so not very... that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thankful for that where I am. Um, and, and yet I also know that, yeah, there's a, there's the, I feel like another theme of today is messiness, right? There's, there's activism at its core is messy because community is messy because humans are messy. And mm-hmm. so we like to engage the, um, the political world in very unmessy ways. This mm-hmm. is my way. That's your way. I'm going to go against it. Um, but so much, I can talk to any community organizer, the real work is getting done at the local level. Mm. And so I, I think there's, for folks who are, especially folks who are outside the church and trying to figure out, well, what's purpose look like for me and maybe my young kids, yeah. right? Um, purpose is, you know, you and your kids learning to do some mindfulness practices, right? How do you be with yourselves? And then how do we get out of our home and engage our neighborhood um, yeah. and engage the folks in our neighborhood that need support and, yeah. um, and a little bit more love um, because of system, you know, systemic oppression. Yeah. And, and then I think the third one, um, the, th- the third one's less thought out. And the third one is around this desire for community. My mom, my mom grew up in the church and she loves the institution. Um, she knows it's shit. <laughs> she knows, she, <laughs> she knows, she knows it is a Titanic in a lot of ways. Um, but she still loves it. And so when her and I talk, she'll sometimes say, you know, what does church look like in the future? What do you think? And I feel like every time I say this, I'm blowing her brain a little bit because what I I believe is that it's, it's not going to look, it's spiritual folks who want to deepen in their spirituality. It's going to be friends getting together for dinner. It's going to be super hyper local. No one's going to know about it. Yes. It's going to be people getting together who are doing those mindfulness practices, who are do- going out to the community gardens, um, yeah. coming together for food and sharing their stories. Yeah. 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 Well, for a non-answer, that was a pretty darn good answer. <laughs> I, I, that was either well thought out in the moment or I'm, that's just my teacher skill of bullshitting. And <laughs> I'll, let other, I'll let other people decide whether that has value. <laughs> Um, I actually like the, I like the ability to, to like in this space to go, I don't know the answer to this. And here's my immediate thought and to, to not go, God has told me this and thus it is correct. And to have to kind of bunker down on, on whatever you've just said, you know, said like, yeah, like I, that's, that's beautiful. But I find that that's really helpful because the mindfulness practice, I mean, it's, it's part of cognitive behavioral therapy that is really useful for things like depression and anxiety and um, things that can be parting gifts from these communities that we've left um, when you've had big belief systems just kind of fall away and you're going, who am I now? What am I now? And actually being able to sit in silence is actually, that's a, that's a skill set that we have to learn. Um, a lot of us haven't learned. We've, 
might have come from silence, might have been praying in tongues for hours and doing it hard and it might have been immersive worship when you're actually not going to silence. You're altering your state of consciousness and, um, you know, so just being in silence and not working and not busying yourself with other things, it's a learnt skill and there's a reason that this mindfulness-based practice is so good um, for things like, you know, depression, anxiety, PTSD, CPTSD. Can you tell I'm studying psychology? That's, you know, or living yeah. psychology. Studying psychology and paying a hell of a lot of money to be on the receiving end. <laughs> and that is the irony of life as we know it right now. So tell, yep. me, tell me more about the stuff that you see in the rancid onion that is the layered system of things that you pick away at when you work with churches or, you know. Yeah. Um Honestly, I think the the biggest thing that I see is that we have been programmed by churches to not examine belief systems. Yeah. Um, progressive Christianity at its best destroys itself. Um, and that's a huge statement. So I'll, I'll pick that apart a little bit. That's a big Woo! statement. Oh boy. That's, there's um, the tea, people. There's that's, the tea. <laughs> that's when I get loose enough that I just like start saying things. Um, what I what I mean by that is progressive Christianity. Um, is rooted, um, partially rooted in the ability to be curious and to ask questions and that nothing is, you know, certainty is not the goal, right? To some extent. And if you, if you're a kid and you're growing up in that, or I'll say for me as a kid growing up in that, um, the natural end point was to ask enough questions where I get to the point where I'm like, this is, this is nonsense. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and, And so I, I'm really, I'm really playing with this right now is, is the, is the best thing we can do in progressive Christianity for our kids is to allow them to destroy it. Um, as they, as they go grow up and tear the layers apart through their questioning and their curiosity and our appropriate answer to most questions, which is, I don't know until they, until they leave and explore and understand embodied spirituality, find an embodied spirituality for themselves. Yeah. Wow. Um, that is the, I think, I don't want to say that I, I want to say it's the pessimist in me, but I also think that's optimism. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that's how do you give autonomy to a young person growing up? So to, to your question, yeah. what I often see in the church is that the folks who are in churches that I work with are largely forties and above fifties and yeah. above. And they haven't been given the permission, which I believe is, is should be self-given, right? Yeah. But they haven't uh, received the permission for themselves to ask enough questions about their belief systems and the stories they tell themselves about themselves and about the world. And so where I come in is I step into that space and I, I ask questions. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I attempt to, you know, my, my belief, this is, a, this is a theoretical belief that has zero evidence. Um, I think every church right now has at least three people in it that are yearning for something they're not currently getting because their bodies and their true self or their essence, you know, whatever you want to call it, is saying what I'm currently getting isn't it. Yeah. And so I try to step in and f- speak to those three people and yeah. validate the questions and the curiosities. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot of, it's a lot of layers. Um, yeah. Oh, it's a yeah. Lot of layers. <laughs> that, yeah. A lot of layers. Um, it's the, the iron, the, the irony here is that, <laughs> well, you know, you said in the beginning that you were identifying kind of as an atheist when you left, your progressive church at age 18, you've now come around and you kind of say out loud, I'm a Christian, but the ick factor is there when you say it. And then I wince painfully. Yeah. So <laughs> the, the the embodiment there is odd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a walking contradiction, but at least I notice I'm wincing. Yes. So that in itself is, that's embodiment, I guess, you know, it's the yeah, noticing I, of the wincing. So, um, <laughs> You you brought up, you know, children, and I think that's an impetus for a lot of people mm-hmm. to make change 
is the system that I grew up in, do I want my kids to grow up in? And still another another dichotomy in that is not sons but daughters. I might be okay with my son growing up in the evangelical church, but am I okay with my daughter growing up in the evangelical church? Oh, interesting. And a lot of the I've, I've heard from more than one parent, more than one parent, several, in fact. No, I'm not. Mm. It's, it's the daughters that makes them go, no, nah, I'm not having this. Um, and, you know, my, my aim is to raise good, responsible agnostics who will question <laughs> the world and who will recognise beauty and who will recognise culture and who will recognise, you know, like this is an expensive habit but my daughter likes buying flappers and it's an, it's an expensive habit but I don't let her buy two bunches in a row for me. Mm. So I'm like who are we buying flowers for this time? And she'll think about it and she'll think about her friends or she'll think about the mothers of her friends. And she always picks someone who she thinks will be cheered up by flowers or somebody who she thinks has had a hard week or, and it's beautiful to see her like just proudly walk up to the door and, you know, deliver the flowers. And it's her little way of bringing joy. And that, I mean, Makes me proud as punch. That's um, so beautiful. That's so uh, beautiful. It, it oh. really is. It really is. And I'm trying to teach my son to like, um, <laughs> like he's got this friend Ulysses. How cool is that name? But Ulysses, I think he he must he's some he's an islander of some description. I don't know much about Ulysses apart from he's got chocolate brown skin and the coolest hair. Um, and I'm like, can we can we maybe? find out something more about Ulysses other than his appearance. What's yeah. his culture? What are the things he values? What are the things his family likes? And so, so Henry's starting to ask more questions about Ulysses and he's starting to find out about his culture and like his cultural songs and his cultural, like, you know, why he has an earring and, you know, like, you know, why his dad has certain tattoos and stuff like that. So to teach them like to ask more questions about the world, but it was certainly having a child that made me think I can accept crumbs for myself, but I can't accept crumbs for my children. Um, and I can accept mistreatment for myself, but I can't accept it for my kids. So, um, and even now <laughs> I look back and I go, I shouldn't have been accepting mistreatment for myself. Um, and it was my kids that taught me that lesson because now I look at my life and I go, the best mother I can be is one who is empowered one who knows her boundaries, one who enforces those boundaries, one who enacts compassion out of choice and not out of coercion, um, and one who chooses what she does with her life and, and who she does it with. And um, and you bet your ass it's taken a lot of layers to dig through to get to that. Yeah. You know, mm. what, what strikes me in two pieces that you just said, um, accepting crumbs but not willing for your kids to have to deal with that. Hmm. Um, and the other element of, you know, folks being okay with boys growing up evangelical, but not the girls. Um, you know, what both those stories have in common is this willingness to still put up with oppression. Yes. Um, right. Gosh. And, and, and I, I, I hear that. And I just think about, so I think about the boys and girls in, um, growing up evangelical, um, and the kids who are asexual, the kids who, you know, right, the kids who are trans, I, I think about those kids and I think about the idea of, you know, I don't want my daughter to grow up in this. And also naming that those boys, while they are experiencing oppression in a different way, are still being trained in yeah. an oppressive system that's going to oppress them and teach them to be oppressive largely to women, right? And so I, and in that same sense of, you know, accepting crumbs, you know, mm. I love what you just said, which is I shouldn't be doing that anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but it's, it's those layers and it's yeah. so hard. I, I, um, my partner, my partner has two kids and, yeah. um, I think a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot about the messages that we give them. Um, yeah. because 
it's really hard to stay on message, <laughs> um, <laughs> especially when you're having a rough night and one of them just won't eat. Um, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but, but, but I also think about, um, I, I also think about those nights where they're just not eating or one of them's not eating. And the other one is like trying to eat their food because they're not eating it. Um, <laughs> and I think about that and typically that's because the kid is frustrated or, you know, something's going on. And so sidling up to that kid and having a conversation about emotions, right. Yeah. Ha you know, creating some space where we can separate from the, from the situation. Let's talk about what you're feeling right now. Um, yeah. you know, basic parenting move. Yeah. Um, and yet I think deeply spiritual, right. You're yeah. teaching, you're teaching the kid that their humanity matters. Yeah. And uh, not just to you, but should matter to themselves. It's okay to ask questions of yourself. Why am I feeling yeah. this way? Yeah. Um, yeah. I also, you know, the other thing that comes to my mind around parenting and just raising kids in general, this is a, this is a really recent shift we made and I'm, I'm just still tickled about it. Um, so for the last. This is a moment of high-fiving yourself and um, <laughs> let's just, Let's just, you need to do this because parenting is hard and we've yeah. got no one telling you from the pulpit how to do it. Oh High five yourself when you, when you stumble on a winner because when you parent other humans, often you are reparenting yourself in the things that went wrong for you in your childhood. So continue on that. Oh my God, <laughs> yes, so much. I mean, that's, that's we, we learn through doing, right, in, in so many yeah. ways. So raising kids, we learn how to raise the, the kids in us that were raised yeah. um, in ways that were abusive or in ways that yeah. were oppressive or, yeah. right. Um, and I think that's, oh, this is not what I was going to say, but I think no. that's so <laughs> cool to think about. I was reminded yesterday, the eight-year-old me is still alive in me, right? Like yeah. every once in a while I do something and I think, oh, that was the eight-year-old me. <laughs> like I, I just acted in an absolutely ridiculous way and yeah. that's how I did. And yeah. so that's the act of parenting. You're also parenting your, your, yeah. your little kid inside. 100%, um, 100%. But the thing that the parenting shift you made, back to that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, so this happened just a couple of days ago and I was so proud of just the moment. Um, when the kids were first born, um, the nighttime routine was singing songs that mm -hmm. we would all get, you know, they would all get in one room and sing songs before the kids would go to sleep. And one of the songs was, um, wow, it's been so long. Uh, like the Jesus loves me song. It was very religious. Yeah. Um, despite that, not necessarily being the, you know, the feeling of the adult in the room, but that was ah, what they did. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then it migrated the, the, that ritual shifted to hopping on Headspace, the app, and um, we would all watch little like Elmo mindfulness videos because they partnered with Sesame Street. And it was the best watching <laughs> Cookie Monster lead yeah. a mindfulness practice. There's nothing yeah. quite like it. Um, but, you know, these kid, kids are young. Uh, yeah. And so what they did before long is they care about the, you know, they, they internalize the practice. They knew how to do yeah. it but it was the video that they wanted. Let's watch a video. Let's watch a video. Uh, um, poison, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like that's, I yeah. mean, that's na totally natural. Yeah. Like, of course that happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so the shift that happened a couple nights ago that I'm still reveling in is my partner says to them, you know, how would you feel if we do this without the video? How, how would you feel if we just did this, you know, just us? Oh. And so we all laid down and did a breathing practices together. Oh. And I, I just had this moment of, this is what practice means. Yeah. Right? We it's in teaching, we call it scaffolding. Yeah. But you start with one thing you build, you know, so we start with a video and then yeah. we build up to doing it without the video. We start with five seconds of silence, or maybe we start with, um, you know, just noticing how our bodies are feeling. And yeah. then we start doing five seconds of silence and then 10 and then 20. And right. Oh my um, gosh. That's, that's wow. Like that's some spiritual, I think that's, for parents who are listening, that's, I think, um, there's anything that connects you with the deepness and beauty of humanity, um, is spirituality for me yeah. because the divine is in us and yeah. around us. Yeah. And I think the scaffolding technique is something that you can apply to yourself to like, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, I think that's something that I'm going to take away from this. Um, the, God, the bedtime routine far out. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so so here's here's my here's my frustration. Um, so my my daughter Allegra, she's four, and like she wanted like she likes me to sing to her before bed, which is fine. I love it. I love singing to her. But some nights, you know, when they just they just drive you to breaking point and then just nudge you over just with a deft flick of the wrist, just nudge you over and you're just so frustrated and you're just uh, and you're feeling like a failure as a parent, you're feeling frustrated. She's like, sing Moon River. And I'm like, okay, Moon River. <laughs> She's like, no, soften, mummy. Sing it in your soft voice. And you're like, Moon River. No, look me in the eye, mummy. Sing it in your nice, soft voice. And you're like, okay. So then you stare and then you're looking in your eye and then she's like, hold my hand, mummy, and just like de-escalating, yep. and which, which I just found was hilarious. I ended up finding a Carla Bruni recording that was just did the job for me, but um, and I'd sit there and just scratch her back while she went to sleep. But it was funny how the kids pick up on your moods. Yeah. But my little moment, because I, I was I was raised in a house that if you had a bad attitude, you'd get a smack. If you, mm-hmm. like, you know, it was very corporal punishment. It was very, like, you know, um, and it was very low on comfort. So when Allegra would throw tantrums, what I would notice is she'd sometimes lose track of what the tantrum was about and then she'd feel shame about the fact that she couldn't stop crying and then it would really unravel. So we developed a little system with the stairs. So the bottom step was where she'd sit if she needed a cuddle to help her calm down. The middle step is where she'd sit if she felt like the landing was where she'd sit if she felt embarrassed um, about something. And the top step was where she'd sit if she felt angry. And so if she lost control, I'd be like, okay, which step do you need to sit on? And she'd go to the step. And um, because she was too young at that point to be able to use the words to find, like, you know, to explain the emotions. But I could coach her through that. I could coach her through where to, you know, um, how to tell me where she was at so that I could be there with her in in her feelings because, like, I could still put her in timeout, but I didn't have to desert her there. I didn't have to make her feel abandoned and ashamed. And that has been a learning um, because sometimes I think we still repeat upon ourselves the punishments that were given to us when we were younger. Um, you might have found yourself outside of church um, you might find yourself making different decisions than you thought you'd make when you were inside church, but that doesn't mean you have to feel abandoned and ashamed. It doesn't mean you have to feel like you're without purpose or like you're unworthy. And for all of these reasons that we've discussed over the course of this um, this this podcast episode, which has gone pretty darn good considering my lack of coffee and sleep and all of the things. Can I just you know, say that? <laughs> it started, I mean, it started chaotic and messy and has just ended, you know, I've, it's ending very nicely. <laughs> it's gone Dude, very well. It was a loop that closed well, she says, with a bottle of water raised to the air as if it's a glass of champagne. <laughs> any any last wisdom you'd like to pass on to us before we, we, we tie this one up? I don't know if I have any wisdom. I, I, um, I have a quote in my head that I think sums up a lot of this. Um, especially I'm really thinking about in terms of parents, but it's really everyone. It's so James Finley is a, um, he's a monk. He was a monk for a bunch of years under Thomas Merton. And then he I became going to say James Dobson there. And I was going to say, go straight to hell. <laughs> Not quite. I wasn't going to go that direction. Uh, Very, very different direction. Um, But James Finley has this quote and he says, um, if you're not careful, you can find yourself skimming over the surfaces of the depths of your own life. Yeah. And that's a big, that's a big one. But I think that in so many ways encapsulates a lot of what we've said is that so many of us have been trained to skim over the surfaces of the depths of our own life, stay on autopilot, be the cog in the machine, do what you're told, um, be okay with oppressive systems. And the church has certainly um, been guilty of teaching that. And so I think if there's one thing I dream um, and I dream actively um, is that 
folks will begin to dive in um, and say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to miss my life. I'm going to go, I'm going to go deep into my own depths because in my depths is where I'll, I'll find a connection to others and a connection to, to something bigger than me. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, and yeah, that's, that's gorgeous. Thank you for sharing that quote with, with me and everybody else, but mainly me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where can we find you on the interwebs? And um, yeah. where can people you can find access me, you send to? Yeah, you can find me at andrewglang.com. Um, and I write for Pathios and there's all the links are on the website. Um, the big one is if you're listening to this after August of 2022, you can also find me on Amazon. Uh, I have a book coming out titled Unmasking the Inner Critic, Lessons for Living an Unconstricted Life. Um, and I'm stoked about that. It has been a really fun process, figuring out all this stuff in my experience and how to like actually put words to it. <laughs> <laughs> that is so exciting. Um, I'll be signing, I'll be signing up for, for a copy of that as soon as possible. So uh, yeah, definitely a must have for the bookshelf. So yay. Thank you so much for this session. It was exactly what I needed today. And I know there was a lot of wisdom in here. So I hope, I uh, hope everyone at home has or in cars or wherever the heck you are has enjoyed listening to it. I'm Kit Kennedy and this is Unchurchable.